This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Good afternoon, family and friends, and thank you for joining us this afternoon on my program called Rise and we are on 7 to 9 a.m., but let us start with a bit of admin. Uh, please join us on our Facebook Live and uh, go and look at what we are doing on Facebook. We are on 729 Carpser Council and we are on WhatsApp 081-729-1657 and our Telegram number is 81 729 and our SMS line is Three seven nine double eight, but I have a very beautiful, exciting guest this afternoon, and we are going to really talk about is age relevant when we need to know what have we got left to offer the Lord, and her name is Jeanette Latimer, and she's eighty eight years young. She is absolutely. Gorgeous. So she has a really a remarkable testimony for us this afternoon. So, but we're first going to take a break and listen to a lovely track, and we'll catch up with you straight after this. Good afternoon, family and friends, and thank you for joining me this afternoon. And you know that this is a program where we give hope, guidance, and wisdom, and knowledge when real life happens in the family. And we often discuss relevant and often unspoken issues in the family, in truth and in love. And this afternoon, we're going to talk about age is age relevant. And I have a wonderful guest. And welcome, uh, Jeanette. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. I am so inspired by your beautiful um, testimony and your remarkable life. And we see we've got quite a bit in common as well. We both come from East London and we are good people. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, Jeanette, I just want to ask you, um, you have got a remarkable testimony and you write poetry, but we're going to listen, we're going to hear you tell us a little bit about the poetry later on. But first of all, you know, what was, what has been your journey with the Lord um, from a young age? And, you know, church has changed so much and, uh, you know, faith has changed. But how do, have you kept yourself relevant until now? When I grew up in East London and um, I grew up in a mainline church and, of course, I was very grateful. I am very grateful for that grounding. Um, but as time went on, there was something missing. And um, in the late 70s, early 80s, the charismatic movement came to East London. And um, personally, I was against it. I felt it was just a, a lot of hoo-ha. But my sister, she um, went into it more deeply and she invited me to a cell group that she had put together. And I started to hear a little more about this Jesus. I thought I knew him because I'd grown up. I'd known about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It had been part of my life. It was very familiar to me. And so um, it came about, they suggested, while we were chatting, you give your life to the Lord. And I thought, well, why do I have to do that? I've always believed. And then one night I was sitting praying and I thought, okay. So I knelt down and I said, Lord, come into my life. I give my life to you. And it just opened a door 
that I hadn't been through before. And I found I didn't own a Bible. I had a church missile and all that, but I didn't own a Bible. I went and bought a Good News Bible, and I started reading things that this man Jesus was saying. I, I bought a Bible with a, it had the red, what Jesus would say, and I couldn't get enough. I, I suddenly, the world opened in a different way for me from a Christian point of view, and I came to the conclusion there's one word that I don't enjoy, and that's obligation. Because I feel that your motivation is because of the love of God. And for all my life, I'd been doing it because I was obliged to. Mm. And it kind of was empty. And I, uh, I've, I used to take my Bible to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get enough, enough of, of it. <laughs> you were like of, literally eating the I, words. I just felt that I had so much to make up for, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then um, I've always enjoyed poetry. We had a wonderful Eng- uh, English teacher. I was at school in Umtata. And um, so I had a wonderful teacher. She opened the poetry to me and I I started writing poetry about things that I read in this Bible that I now had and uh, I would come across a little phrase in the Bible and I I think to myself oh that would make a wonderful poem so there the, the, my family laughed at me because I said oh I feel a poem coming on <laughs> <laughs> and so I would um, sit down and, and, and write and uh, as time went on I felt I needed to move. But uh, just to go back a little bit, because my son was born with a hearing problem, we we came to Cape Town so he could come to the school for the deaf in Hart Bay. And ha- having been with the cell group where we worshipped and we delved into the Bible, it was just wonderful. And I came to, to Cape Town and th- I didn't have that anymore. So I, uh, funnily enough... The only thing I could do was to sit and write poetry. So I wrote a little series called Penny Pocket Poems. Mm, that's cute. And so I, I was sort of almost um, remembering what I'd been taught in these cell groups and, and sort of related them into poetry. So I wrote three little books. One was called Penny Pocket Poems, one more Penny Pocket Poems, and then still more Penny Pocket Poems. They were very basic, nothing... You know, from a point of view of uh, literature, they're very basic. Mm-hmm. But but I fed from them because of what I had experienced. experienced. Then <clears throat> there came the time, um, my husband was what we called a Christa, a Christian and Easter Anglican. Okay. So it came Easter time, and he said to me, uh, why don't you come with me? We've we've known Peter and Stella Campbell for so many years in East London. They're now he's now the pastor at the church at, at the end of our road. So um, I went on the Saturday to fulfil my obligation, mm-hmm. and on the Sunday we went to the church. Well, it I was dying at the other where I had been worshiping because it was just the same old you know obligation thing. obligation thing, and so. Um, look, this is my story. There might be people, and I'm sure there are people who are very satisfied mm-hmm. and happy where they are, and that's great. But it was it, it was Georgia. It wasn't enough for me. So we went to the, to the church, and it was the most incredibly Holy Spirit filled experience. And I just wept. I just felt <laughs> as if I'd come home, you know. Yes. And as we left, I said to him, "Hun, there's no way I can go back. I, I'm coming here." So he said, "Well, if you do that." 
I will come with you every Sunday. Oh, precious. So it meant so much to me. And he, he did. He came. He was very much a part of the church and it belonged to the men's fellowship and everything. And then um, he was sort of on his journey. And then Jean, the perfume lady, Jean Guthrie, she came to do a mission at at the church, and she had an she had an altar call. She was very very um, inspiring, mm-hmm. and you know full on with the Holy Spirit. And my husband was at the back handing out books, and I thought, oh, come on, Lord, now bring him up to the altar to a altar call. So I kept looking around and he was standing there. So I went back and I said, come on, hon, come up. He said, oh, I'm not ready yet. So I said, who's telling you you're not ready? Satan's telling you you're not ready. Come, I'll go with you. So mm. he walked up to that the That is very pivotal. <clears throat> they had to go with somebody sometimes. They just yes, need their hand. Yes, truly, Renette, it's so true, you, you know, just to have that support. Mm. Anyway, we walked up to the altar rail. Jean came towards him, put her hand up, and <laughs> he was slain in the spirit. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure you didn't expect that. No, and, you know, he was a very shy person, so it, was, it wasn't him. It was the Holy <laughs> Spirit. And, you know, when he died, I just thought, Lord, if I hadn't left and joined um, the, this new sort of movement, as it were, I wouldn't know where he is. I exactly. know for the, uh, beyond so a sure doubt that he's That's there. wonderful. And, I mean, he was only 59, so he was very, oh, young. very young. But truly, uh, if I hadn't taken that step, mm. I don't know, wouldn't be sure, you know. So I was very blessed in that way. So I'm, I'm truly grateful that I was released. I have family who are not in – well, I, they wonder, you know, because they, mm. they're very happy where they are, and that's fine. But for me, I needed that – the joy, instead mm. of being a, the obligation, takes away the joy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Absolutely. so much joy in in, uh, in the fellowship, in the fellowship, and and you know, mm. interacting. And so, um, I, my journey was um, quite quite a change, quite a change. Mm. Yeah, and and you know, we do <clears throat> feel, and I think what you're mentioning now is quite. Uh, inspiring in the sense that people are so used to being where they've been and don't want to make, because of the obligation and the loyalty, you know, there's loyalty attached to sometimes belonging to a church. And especially with our age, you know, we we come from a different era and when things, church looked different. And, um, you know, it's so encouraging to hear that you actually made the step and that there was no offense on, you know, on leaving the other well, well to, be perfect, to be perfectly honest I was very it took me about two years to feel that proper comfortable because I felt hmm, you know I'm betraying what mm. I'd been had grown up with and I'm still grateful for the discipline of the mainline churches of course, of that, course. That, that, it was like a grounding but then you take off and I met many others at this church who also came from also mainline moved. churches and mm. and we used to get together and we uh, we all understood where we were coming from exactly. you know because they'd experienced what i'd experienced so I'm very grateful that that my mm. sister persisted with me. That's right. Yeah. And it's but it's important <clears throat> what you're mentioning now because sometimes we uh, 
especially with the way we were raised, is that we're afraid of change or to make the, the make the change because of loyalty yes. and because the way we were raised yes. and being uh, disciplined and, you know, mm. certain structures were put yes. in place, yes. which I'm grateful myself for, to be Ex honest. Yes, exactly. Um, it's yeah. not, nothing's ever lost. No, no. But when change needs to take place, then the Lord really unlocks a yes. new, yes. new world yes. for us. Yes. And I remember when I was in my bedroom one evening, the, the, the other people in the group, they were all praying in tongues, and I was really wanting this gift. But I, didn't, I, I was a bit shy about it, you mm. know, and I was in my bedroom, and I suddenly started singing in tongues. Was, oh, wow. It was such a release, and it, it, it's just a different dimension, you mm. know. And I, I know there are people out there who think, oh, what is this going on? But just try it, and then decide. Just try it. Just give your life and to And I love what you said, try it and desire it. Yes, yes. Yeah, that is yeah. so beautifully yeah. said. And God came through for me, and I mean, His hand has been on my life. You know, when when um, Oral Roberts's son came out to East London, I I went to the priest and I said, you know, may I take him for he have his hearing his deafness uh, cured, healed, and I went there and uh, we stood up and nothing happened. But mm -hmm. I know now, looking back, that we would never have come to Cape Town. And Cape Town had opened things for Rory that he would never have, have experienced. experienced. He, the Lord had so his own journey knew, for him. And the journey's been amazing. And, and Rory's on fire for the Lord, too. So yes, I was just praying. We were just praying there now for, with him. Yes, yes. And um, yes, and the anointing is on our journeys. When the Lord has a journey for us, he takes us on a path that we often not sure of, but right. it is such a blessing yeah. in hindsight. So um, just tell me, um, you know, before, maybe we should just take a break right now. Right. And then, you know, I don't want to get started again on something that I really want us to get on onto is maybe the life with Rory. And, you know, obviously you being you're losing your husband so early. Mm. And then that's a new season. And, you yeah. know, what did God do with you in that time? Mm -hmm. So I would love to, us to just uh, co cover that in the next session. So um, I think we're going to take a break now. Um, and then we get back on this conversation. And thank you. It was, uh, you know, very um, relevant what you were discussing now. Thank you uh, for that. And uh, we'll catch up with you straight after this. Good afternoon, family and friends. And oh, I've got a remarkable guest this afternoon. Her name is Jeanette Latimer. And she's just sharing her interesting life of, you know, transition from the way we were raised, you know, mm. in our era, we were raised a certain way and church looked different, but also her journey of really finding Holy Spirit and uh, it, and opening up into a new field of fellowship. And it's been so important because, you know, sometimes we get a little bit stuck and stale and we don't know why. And then the Lord opens up a lot of things when we just really connect with him personally. So, Jeanette, uh, but you've also had your challenges. Um, and that is what makes me so uh, feel so inspired by the fact that you wrote poetry from a very young age, but at the same time how it's actually carried you through, hey? Absolutely. Yes, and uh, yes. so if you can maybe just share with us uh, your journey and once, you know, 
the fact that you had to move with Rory to Cape Town um, and just give us, you know, what that journey looked like. Well, to start off with, um, we were not quite sure if he was he was deaf because sometimes he would react as a baby and sometimes he wouldn't. And then we discovered, um, later on we discovered that he was totally deaf in the one ear but could hear in the other. So Clive and I went, took him up to Johannesburg and uh, we went to a specialist there and they put him in a room with wires and all sorts of things on his head and he's, when, when Rory started to cry, he said, oh, this child's not deaf. Not totally deaf because he's not crying like a deaf child. I didn't know there was a difference. Yes, the sound. But, but anyway, um, it transpired when he was three and a half, he got his first hearing aid. And um, I, he was then at Sterling pre primary. And I spent many hours going up to the field looking for his hearing aid because he would take it out and was playing on the swing. But I always, mm-hmm. always found it. I said, well, Please, Lord, let me find this hearing aid. And so um, he grew up with having a hearing aid. And as luck would have it, or as, as a blessing would have it, I should say, there's no such thing as luck. I um, happened to work, I had to go to work at a school um, that had a, a hard of hearing section. It was called College Street School. Yes. And they had a hard of hearing section. And there was a speech therapist there, Mel Dix, a lovely lady. She came to me and she said, you know, I've been observing Rory at Sterling. He's a lot more deaf than you realize. And so... Then she got organized getting a hearing aid. So he came to school attached to where I was working. How incredible is that? Just God's really hand. God's hand. So so then she, I found that he was saying things, you know, the S sound for a deaf person is very uh, telling. He would say things like shtick and chachridge. So she gave me a whole list of words with, with S at the beginning, in the middle, and the end. And she said, do what we call corrective feedback. Don't say it to him. No, Rory, don't say it like that. Just repeat it in a sentence or something so he rehears it the right way. So I was so blessed in being at a school where that I had could this, coach you. At, that could coach me. And so eventually Mel left, and then uh, Heather Prince, another lovely person, she's, she's since died, she came through to my office and she said, you know, for a child with the level of deafness that Rory has, his speech is incredible. And that was because I was coached on how to deal with it. And so you you can't tell that he's deaf when, when he speaks. When he speaks. Because, because of the early, they didn't have to unlearn words like people who only discover that, that they need a hearing aid on, you know. So um, I was very blessed in that way. And then as he as he was growing up, we decided there were no secondary, second, uh, uh, what do they call it, um, middle-class schools. Um, what's the word I want? Um, there was primary and then it's the, the next one. And oh, then yes. Mm. There was nothing in East London. So Heather said, look, why don't you go down to Cape Town to school in Hart Bay, which we did. We arranged that. And I can remember telling Rory how he's going to go to boarding school. <laughs> it's quite funny. The, on the on the television, there was a Walt Disney thing on. There was a vase that was knocked and it sort of broke into tiny little pieces. And he said, Mommy, you see that vase? That's what my heart's like oh, now. Precious. Oh, precious. <laughs> Can you imagine what made, that made us <laughs> oh, feel that like? Oh, you feel like they anyway, abandoning him. So he came to Cape Town as a boarder. And then I thought, oh, you know, we waited 10 years for him, so... Uh, we always went for a walk in the evening 
with our dogs. And Clive said to me, you know, I've been thinking, I've asked for a transfer to Cape Town. I said, oh, I've been thinking exactly the same thing. We need to go to Cape Town. So that was why we left East London and came to Cape okay, Town. great. And it was a fantastic move because Rory got introduced to the Hermanus Boys Camp, which has yes. been going over 100 years. Yes. And he's very involved with that. And that really gave him the uh, confidence. Uh, confidence. And it's a wonder. You can't explain the, the ethos of the Hermanus Camp. It's, the, it's a band of brothers that is incredible. Little boys right up to 80, 90-year-olds, when they had their 100th uh, anniversary, I met one a very old gentleman. He was going down to, to the... Um, supper that they were having and I said uh, uh, how are you doing? He said oh the memories I came here when I was 10 or 11 and and, and now he's still, still interested and yes. they are still involved. elderly folk that are still involved and looking after these little guys and taking them on, canoeing them. and they do all sorts mm-hmm. of things and it's been going for many many years and I can just divert a little bit to a, a story at the camp just before when COVID was on, just after COVID. They had the camp. Uh, it was okay. They kept testing the boys, and s- several of them had to go home because they were tested positive. And then Rory had a feeling that they must close camp on the Wednesday, and Murray Bridgman had the same feeling. So they told the parents they packed up and they left. And that night, a huge tree fell down on top of where a tent would have been. Now, that's the Lord's protection on that camp. Absolutely. Truly, I mean, that would have probably maimed or even killed because those are huge trees. Yes, yes, yes. So so that, that to me, is the blessing is on that camp because it's, yes. been, it's, been, it's, it's a Christian camp. You know? Yes, yeah. yes. And it's good to know <coughs> that when, um, you know, there are places where, uh, you know, children are just accepted for who they are yeah. and mentored and loved and yeah. cared for. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, you know, we need to understand that um, so many, cha- the children are so challenged in today's life and they don't actually experience real life and good no. memories. Hey? No, I know. And so that is wonderful to hear that that camp is still going. Yes. But, you know, I just want us just to go back to the fact that you started, you know, being a widow and then how did you start keeping yourself still relevant you know financially all those things are very important uh, that add up eventually yes. and then still having a child a son that is dependent on you yes so um <clears throat> rory had um he my mother, mother had uh, organized uh, when she died um some money so he bought a flat and so when, after my husband died, I couldn't cope with the pool in the garden, it was too much. So we moved into his flat and uh, let the house. But um, we've now since moved back into the house. Okay. And we've made, we've gone into kind of an arrangement with Res Care, wonderful company. And they, we've got uh, people in the two rooms at the end of the house, which they, they have carers. We have nothing to do with that. We just provide the accommodation. And I've moved back into my ensuite, and Rory's. We made a, the garage into a little place for him years ago, well. so he's there. So we private, but it means we we giving uh, a, uh, an opening for people 
to have yes. have a place that's like home from home. Yes, and they and have, yet they still have the care. They still have the care. Yes, which this is what I really <coughs> wanted to get to because I heard about this that you are doing, and there are so many people in older they get, the lonelier they become. That's and it. they're sitting with these big houses. They don't want to go to a retirement village. Yeah. Um, they don't feel redundant That's yet. Exactly. They don't feel yeah. that they need to go. But this is an opportunity to bring even one or two extra mm. people into your home yes. and and be of service That's right. to so, the community. Yes, it's a win-win situation. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. So, um, and if you can just share a little bit of how did you get involved with Rescare? Well, um, I, through a lady called Di Forrester, they, they have the Westlake uh, community. I, I, it's um, also a, a Christian uh, organization. And uh, we, we have friends who needed care. And uh, we met Simon, who is, d- does a lot of the uh, admin and running around looking after people and overseeing. And so um, I was chatting to Di Forrester and she said, oh, they're looking for, they're wanting places in people's homes for people who don't want to give up their homes or they have to and have a place to go. So then I spoke to Simon and that's how it all came about. So the two rooms were available. Fantastic, fantastic. And, you know, this is just such an answer to society right now. And then it still keeps you relevant, right? It keeps you motivated in your age. I mean, I can't believe when I look at you that you're 88. It is remarkable. But, you know, I was just saying to Bridget this morning, I don't take it for granted. I thank the Lord every day that I haven't got arthritis or any of these ailments that 70 year olds have yes, you know so yes. I, 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 every morning I said Lord I don't take it for granted thank you for my health because my sister's 92 and she's she's at Stirling Lodge in East London and very happy there fantastic but now when we get back after this break we are going to listen to one or two of your poems and then you can share that with us and I think you have just got <laughs> such a remarkable journey and I think you've possibly given some people ideas of how to keep themselves relevant in all areas of their lives and the fact that you well still is obviously your soul as well which is wonderful okay we're going to quickly take a break and then we'll catch up with you straight after this Good afternoon and thank you for being with us this afternoon and we are so privileged to have Jeanette Latimer in the studio with us. She is 88 years old. Well, and have we not been absolutely blessed with this interview? She is 88 years young, Uh looks wonderful, absolutely beautiful, healthy, her soul is well and she is such an encouragement for us that are getting older and, you know, for making us feel that, yes, we've got still lots to offer. So just share with us a little bit with the poetry. You write poetry now, which also keeps you going. You're a multi-marketer. I mean, you are just such a busy girl. And <laughs> it is absolutely wonderful, wonderful to to see that Age is not relevant, mm-hmm. that we can just keep doing what we need to do for the Lord. And this is what I am just absolutely love hearing, is that you've never stopped moving forward. And uh, so, uh, Jeanette, uh, you know, you started writing poems, and we're going to share what, a couple of those. Um, but I just want, uh, you know, listeners, just hear the, the confidence in her voice, 
knowing who she is in Christ is absolutely beautiful, not wavering on who he is. And um, yes, and she's just got so much to give still in her latter years. It says so in, in the word that our latter years are going to be greater than our former years. So I think you I are living, so. <laughs> they are already. If I just listen to your testimony, I am so excited about my latter years. Okay, Jeanette, just give us a little bit of background on your journey with um, the writing of the poems, like where it started and now what does it look like? How's, how have you grown? All that type of thing. Well, I've always enjoyed poetry because there's music in words. And if, if you read the Psalms, I mean, it's beautiful. There's music in, in, in words. And when you put them together in a poem, it, it kind of has a more impact, I feel. And um, delving into the word, I just, as I shared with you earlier on, um, the word is it's alive. I mean, the word is is God. So it's it, it never it never dies. It, it's new every morning. Amen. And so sometimes when you're reading a passage that you've read hundreds of times, and somehow it just makes more impact. And I think it's where you are at that point that that particular phrase in the word means more to you because of where you are at that moment. Exactly. And so very often I'd read something and then I think, oh, I feel a poem coming on. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. And so that's why, and I, I, m most of my poems are um, Christian-based. I mean, I do write fun ones as well, but but basically that's where that's where I draw strength too, because it makes it more meaningful as you as you as you write the poem, and, and thoughts come to your mind that just flow, just flows, and it makes a deeper meaning, you know. And mm. this is why. Um, I'd sh shall I share this one? Please do. Um, there's a phrase that I read in Luke 23. It's a little phrase that hardly plumbs the depths of the impact of those words in verses 55, which reads, The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandments. Now that little phrase, they went home and prepared spices. And I thought, how could this brief sentence in Luke fully address and convey their heartbreak over what they had witnessed that day? Let's pause just to ponder the extent of their pain. Here was a grief that no words could fully explain. United in grief, the silence screamed as they made their way home, each mind overwhelmed with the thoughts of their own. There was no desire to speak to of all that they'd seen. No words could capture that blood-chilling, cruel scene. Minds were numbed, yet reeling with the grim memory of that day. Grief, like a heavy, shapeless coat, enveloped them as they went on their way. The home, as they entered, seemed somehow to know, for there was an eeriness that permeated the soft evening glow. Quietly they took the perfumes and spices from their place of safekeeping, too shocked and stunned to give way to weeping. The preparation process kept their hands occupied, but etched in their minds the sight of the one who had died. An etching so deep it cut to the heart of each one, in a daze they set about the preparations that had to be done. For the next day was the Sabbath when they were required to rest, the need to complete this task was an enormous test. They could not allow their grief to so overwhelm 
for they knew the need and importance of this fragrant balm. The familiar aroma of spices and oils and perfume filled the air, but somehow, this time, it seemed so much harder to bear. This death was so different from anything they had ever known. So many, many questions, and no one to explain. Finally, the jars were filled and set aside with reverence and awe. Now they were ready for the Sabbath and the requirement of the law. The busyness over, a stillness descended, drawing them close together in sorrow as the day finally ended. There was no exchange of glances, they just sat with detached stare, their eyes wide but sightless in the fire's glowing glare. What did the future hold for those left behind? This thought laid heavily on each one's mind. We can only get an inkling of what their day had meant to those who had witnessed that world-changing event. Now when we read that phrase in the word, it hardly covers the full impact of what had occurred. What had occurred. They went home to prepare spices and oils and perfume so that all would be ready for the beloved in the tomb. There are no words that could capture their heartache, grief and sorrow as they prepared to face the challenge of their new tomorrow. This brief account brings into sharp focus and view that at no cost to me, I inherit a world made new. Words have the power to bring deep spiritual insight and bring forth truths not grasped at first sight. Lord, when I'm reading the word, let me ponder each phrase that would ignite my faith and set it ablaze. My place in history allows me to truly know the death that they witnessed was predestined to show God was putting in place his divine plan to sacrifice his precious son for the salvation of man. I can look back with full knowledge, safe and secure, but I can never fully grasp what they had had to endure. Our generation is privileged to look back at the cross, overwhelmed that God can and does use people like us. Amen. Oh, my goodness, that is so touching. Wow, wow, wow. I cannot, I cannot. It just it was so visual. I could just see, see what them. they were doing. And uh, just your words, choices, and uh, storytelling of what that was, and mm. the fact that that particular phrase just jumped out oh. at you. Yeah. And to say, you know, what pain did they actually go through? Yeah, it was just a bland sort of s s uh, phrase and the thing, but what was behind it? What was behind mm. it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And, you know, I just, something you also shared earlier on is about the fact that, um, you know, that the word comes alive to you. And that came alive to you out of everything. One phrase. One <laughs> phrase. But what I also mean, what we spoke about er earlier, um, is that the Lord loves the ordinary person. And again, you say that it was us, it was those people that were his followers mm. at the time that took care of him, of the greatest human being ever on earth. Oh. He chose ordinary people. He wasn't on pedestals and exactly. golden, co you mm. know, casts and, you know, that he was meant to come here for us. Yeah. Well, this is why I wrote this, this CD called People Like Us. It's it, it it deals with ordinary people like us. So where do we get, where can they get this? Oh, no, I just had that. Uh, just printed. Uh, yes, okay. yes. I've got a couple, but I mean, uh, um, uh, they, 
They are. Uh, I don't sell them. I just yes, give them away. Just give no. them away, mm -hmm. because and and your <coughs> and your little um, poetry uh, books. Uh, those the, actually, I was working at the education department when I did that, and I didn't. I, I was in the um, exam section, so I didn't have a typewriter. So somebody typed those for me. So they're not typed as I would have typed. Typed, but, but you that know was, what? But it's anyway, it's so original for me. It's like what it used to be like. It has its own value, just as it is. We don't yeah. see this anymore. So it's beautiful. So, yeah. And um, this is such a beautiful, beautiful um, gift that you have. And yes, listeners, I really want to encourage you that there is so much we have to offer and we don't actually dis discover that as a journey of rediscovery. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the the Bible is a treasure chest, gems of all sorts of incredible things. You know, I actually wrote a poem about the treasure chest of the Bible. <laughs> oh, I have to have, we have to have you somewhere just reciting some of these somewhere. <laughs> we have to really look at this uh, family and friends and I hope you really feel encouraged. Go and sit down and Reflect on what you have, you know, um, if it's now knitting or if it is just uh, sharing the word, um, opening up your home, you know, uh, Jeanette, you are just really such an inspiration having this word that you can just share with us. And um, you are such an encouragement and such thank a you. blessing. And thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. I am me. excited about my new season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've really excited. It made me feel really, um, uh, you know, there's lots more to come. Yes, yes. When Corrie Ten Boom started her mission at the age of 80, you remember? Yes. <laughs> I think we've still got all a lot to offer still. Yes. And then we can, don't feel that we've been left behind. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jeanette. Yes. And I just pray that the Lord will just continuously use you mightily and that you will continuously have the beautiful impact that you have just being in your presence and your uh, you, know, you, you radiate his love and uh, may the Lord just continuously use you in every aspect thank you so much thank you okay family and friends that is us for the end of this uh, program and we hope to see you next week same time same place be good and be safe and take care goodbye this insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.